This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This time, the Battle of the Champions live! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And uh, welcome to Rax Factor, where we're not currently live in London. No. But we were uh, back in November 2018. We're, so it's better, if anything, we're live in your flat in Chelmsford. My flat, not the listeners. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Uh, yeah, so we did uh, a tour, our first ever tour mm-hmm. uh, in November, uh, starting off in London. We did six dates um, across England and then one in Scotland to finish off. Yeah. We had an awful lot of fun. Uh, it was brilliant. Thanks so much to everyone who came. Uh, we must say a huge thanks to uh, Wise Buddha, um, yeah. who organised all of this for us, got the live tour underway mm. without them um and if it had been left entirely to us i'm not sure it quite would have happened and if it had it certainly wouldn't have been nearly as cool or professional or i mean it would have probably just resorted to us saying look this is Graham's flat number in you come yeah <laughs> you can listen to this it would have been appalling so thank you very much wise buddha and the promoters kilimanjaro who yeah. helped um promote nice. it as well yeah some very very helpful staff there every night sorting us all out but it's in the right place so we just went on stage and did our stuff it was brilliant nice and easy for us mm. so thank you uh, now of course a lot of people when we told them about the tour were disappointed because they wouldn't be able to come either because mm. they were in far-flung parts of the world or indeed just busy that night yeah i mean and if you will live in these places i mean <laughs> unbelievable but we didn't think originally that we were going to be able to record them but as it turned out each and every one of our live shows yeah. has been recorded for posterity. We've had them all um, edited, haven't we, by lovely Jake Sanders, brother yes. of Tom of, of Animation fame. Indeed. So, Privy Councillors uh, get to hear more of us talking about what it was like being on tour because we'll be doing some tour diaries to go Ooh. along with these live episodes. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. So, we took our portable recorder with us and it was there on stage beforehand, backstage waiting to go on, in the car, driving to and from different venues, in the cafes. Yeah. I mean, it's Graham and Ali's road trip. Mm. Uh, it was great fun. And you can hear us having an awful lot of fun. So you can hear what we had for lunch. And I mean, if that isn't worth being a Privy Councillor for, I don't know what is. For anyone wondering about when we're going to start the new series, that is going to be coming after we have released all of these live tour episodes. So we've got six 
live shows uh, will be releasing as podcasts and then it will be series three when we begin reviewing all the Queen and Prince consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Anyway, uh, we're now going to, or you're now going to listen to uh, the first night uh, of our tour where we were live in London. We are missing something like the first 30 seconds of this. Oh, really? Yes, because if you call the, uh, the guy that was doing the sound said that old oh, GarageBand popped up with an error and he had the wherewithal to go OK and click record again. Oh, well, I do remember him talking to us. I had no idea what he was talking about. I was still sort of buzzing at the end of it, going, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, great. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but good. I mean, bad. Yeah, so the intro uh, isn't there, although the way that it starts, I think it will sound like a logical place, but you're missing the rapturous applause to which we walked on. Oh, it was brilliant, because <laughs> we actually came in... Felt off. like rock stars. Yes, I really did. We came, we came in onto the stage so, so people could see us arrive so that um, some cheers built and yeah. we did a little wave said hello now after each of the battles we did a Q&A with mm. the audience um, apart from some people in London the downside for a live recording is that the audience didn't have microphones ah. so apologies to anyone who asked a question is looking forward to hearing themselves on the podcast because most of you you mm. won't mm-hmm. and Ironically, apart from in London, we didn't repeat the questions very often. Can we splice it in? So what, I'm, what I'll do yeah. is that for each question, if you absolutely can't hear it and we don't repeat the question, I will insert myself <laughs> approximating what the question is about. Okay, good idea. Yeah. Because then it <laughs> sounds so funny. Graham going... Uh, who is your favourite monarch? <laughs> and Graham replies, well, my <laughs> Well, this will be fun. So anyway, you are now going to hear Rex Factor live in London where we had the Battle of the Champions between the winner of Series 1, Henry II, against the winner of Series 2, Robert the Bruce. Whee! Enjoy! It's Wednesday! The time is 7pm! Give or take a number of minutes. You just checked that, didn't you? You're in the Islington, in Angel, London, UK, the world. It's Rex Factor, live, with your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. So it's Robert the Bruce against Henry II. You are going to get to decide who is the ultimate Rex Factor champion. This is the uh, the entire chorusy of the vote that picks the ultimate winner. So there's a responsibility there. You've got to really think about your answers here. Don't take any of these out of my book. Go straight. What would Graham do? That's <laughs> you need to think. Uh, so what we're going to do is a normal sort of Rex Factor episode. So it will be looking at their biography, the life and reigns, and then we're going to go on and do... Uh, each factor comparing the two monarchs against each other and hopefully at the end of that you'll have been able to decide which one you think deserves to be crowned ultimate champion uh, for you this is slightly less intimidating that you've got notes you're thinking i've got to get through these 
this is like an anxiety dream for me. I, <laughs> I could turn up, have done no preparation. I don't know what's going to happen. So <laughs> hit me. What are we doing? Well, a quick overview of the two monarchs, just to remind everybody. Um, I was saying before, we've had a lot of tweets this week about people saying they've been listening to the episode, getting back in touch. I'm pretty confident Ali is the least informed person <laughs> here today. Proudly so. So apologies for everybody else that knows this already, but Ali, for your benefit. Thank you very much. Henry II, mm-hmm. King of England, yeah. from 1154 to 1189. He was born in 1133, mm-hmm. so he was 21 when he became king. Good age. We always say that's a pretty pretty good time to start at 21. No minority, not too old for your longevity score. He's looking good. I reckon he's going to do well. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's described as being red-haired, of middling height, mm-hmm. quite a nice contemporary chronicler. Uh, quote was, neither does he appear great among the small, nor yet does he seem small among the great. Insightful. He's okay. just the yeah. right size. Oh, just... <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, he's also got a broad chest, fierce grey eyes, and a harsh, cracked voice. Right. He's always out and about on his horse, charging around, mm. shouting out orders. Sounds hard work. It is hard work. Um, he's, as I said, always on the move. He's a very intelligent man as well, but surprisingly humble for a medieval king. He didn't have any interest in pomp or ceremony, dressed mm. very sparingly, quite a small diet. He actually wanted to be buried in quite a minor church, but I think they decided that that wasn't really quite the done thing for a I king. thought it was really arrogant, though. Why? I thought that was... Well, well I mean, he's the king. Obviously, he's yeah, a king, yeah, but yeah, yeah. he doesn't need all of the uh, flummery okay. that a George IV might be wearing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, when's that? Manchester. Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> um, now, Peter of Blois gives a lovely description of Henry because as well as all of this, he's actually got a really quite fun, mischievous sense of humour, which right. you don't always get from medieval monarchs. But here's a little anecdote of what Henry would get up to. If the king had promised to remain in a place for that day, and especially if he had announced his intention publicly by the mouth of a herald, he is sure to upset all the arrangements by departing early in the morning. If, on the other hand, the king orders an early start, he is certain to change his mind, and you can take it for granted that he will sleep until midday. Oh, how he laughed. That's brilliant. <laughs> oh, oh, God, a death. Brilliant. That doesn't sound any fun at all. Well, yes, and on the other hand, he does, of course, have that notorious Plantagenet yeah. temper. He could go absolutely wild if something riles him. Mm. Uh, a classic example was when somebody said something complimentary about the King of Scots, William the Lion. Henry, at this point, was said to have rolled off the bed, started chewing the straw <laughs> on the floor in rage. Oh, dear. He sounds like my toddler. <laughs> That's outrageous. That's when you sort of stroke and say, gently, gently. What's yeah. Everything's very, very fun, and then suddenly it's really not. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Well, let's see how he compares to Robert the Bruce. Robert was born in 1274 and became king in 1306. Mm-hmm. So he's 32 years old when he becomes king. A bit older. A bit older. Um, his skeleton suggests he was about six foot one. Uh, and in his prime, and a digital facial reconstruction that was done recently suggests that he basically looked like a quite stocky prop forward in rugby. Yeah. I have seen the um, uh, Robert the Bruce stuff for the new film, and Chris Pine, although I think we said in a podcast ages ago we were a bit dubious about it, he looks brilliant. Mm. And well, that's uh, ne- released tomorrow, so I think we'll... Netflix have done a terrible job with the scheduling two days after we're doing the live I show. I mean, I don't know why they but didn't change it. When we're all cosy in our little uh, what, Burton and Ernie bed in Oxford, we are going to be watching that, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> what we don't know is whether Chris Pine will be uh, representing a skin ailment that uh, Robert the Bruce had in later years, possibly even leprosy. Ooh. 
which uh, hasn't been the main focus of uh, his dad, what he's been wearing or his, not wearing. But his dad had that in Braveheart. Now, don't tell me that was incorrect as well. Well, I mean, of all the things wrong in Braveheart, I don't think that was... <laughs> probably wasn't top of the list. I, I, you destroy me with that film, Graham. It's my favourite. We are watching that. I've got, the, oh, I've got it on CD to listen to in the car on the way around. OK. I used to do that. I always used to film TV programmes and listen to them afterwards. Yeah. When Did I was you? a child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that and a lot of solo Pink Floyd stuff that I'm going to subject you to. It's going to be great. I can't wait, honestly. <laughs> Uh, now, we don't know quite as much about Robert the Bruce in terms of his personality, though there was quite a lovely anecdote that apparently he uh, used to read French romances to his troops mm. on the shores of Loch Lomond. <laughs> Why? I guess, you know, you're kicking around before a battle. What are you going to do? Well, I've got a lovely Mills and Boone here. <laughs> oh, my God. Right, OK. Did it fire them up? Were they, was that successful? Do we know? Well, we'll find out, won't we, oh, when yeah, it gets yeah, a battle. Yeah, yeah. Skipping ahead. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise quite a cultured man. He was uh, probably spoke Anglo-Norman, Latin, Gaelic. He was fostered in Ireland. So maybe not quite the same vivid personality we get from Henry, but nevertheless, he must have been quite a substantial force mm. of nature, as mm -hmm. we shall see. Yeah. Well, we got him, we've got a card from him here. Now, I know you said we're not going to look at these, but I want a little refresher. Hello? Yep. Aha, yes, the best card in the whole deck. Absolutely fantastic. So... Uh, I mean, are we doing badly in this next? Is that what we're doing? No. Okay. <laughs> I'll say that for later. What we're doing next is biography. Okay, right. Biography! <laughs> I, I've always got to do the hands. I don't know why. It's really annoying. <laughs> so a little bit of backgroundy stuff uh, for Henry II. He comes to the throne uh, just after the anarchy, a civil war in England between King Stephen and Henry's mother Matilda, where they battled for the throne. Mm. Um, it's a really bad period for the crown. Stephen struggles to keep hold of all of his territories. Quite a lot of northern England is lost to Scotland. The Welsh... Uh, on the borders, also taking a lot of territories, and the barons are building their own private castles. Nobody can actually get through to them, so there's just stalemate for years and years, and everything really goes quite badly. Okay, enter Henry. Enter Henry, indeed, and he's got rather more to his bow, more the strings to his bow, that's the phrase. Mm. Um, he becomes the Duke of Normandy in 1150, inherits Anjou in 1151, and he marries Eleanor of Aquitaine in 1153. Mm. Oh, big, big fan of Eleanor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can't wait for this next series. <laughs> yeah. um, so he's, he's king when he marries her, or does he marry her before he's king? Marries her before he's king, okay. and then that same year, Stephen's son dies, so an agreement is made that Henry will be Stephen's heir. So when Stephen yeah. dies, Henry becomes king of England. And there's no other people buying for the job, is there? He's already got... Eleanor's land and he's the only person in the frame. He is. So 1154, Stephen dies and Henry becomes king. Okay, done. Okay. So he sets about restoring royal control. He removes all of these privately owned castles, kicks out all of the mercenary troops that the nobles had, mm -hmm. flooding the lands, restores the royal finances and makes quite a few major legal reforms. Oh, I love a legal reform, Graham. You know, I love a legal reform. <laughs> we will come to the legal reforms. Okay, we will come to you. the church later. Right. I know you're waiting for that one. Okay, good. Uh, through inheritance, marriage and campaigning, he also rules this vast empire, the Angevin Empire, um, or as you termed it, the left of France. <laughs> I think I think that's a perfectly legitimate thing to say. It was it's over it's there. It's on the left hand side of my map. Yes. I can't imagine it any other way, no. No, quite right. Quite right. 
Uh, so yeah, he's very, very powerful. He keeps it all together just by his constant moving around. He's able to surprise people by just turning up. Mm. Yeah, what, uh, uh, what was that quote you said years you told me years ago well presumably when we were doing the Henry episode actually I may come to it later okay good right <laughs> this, it's, this, you, all this cold honestly normally gets cut I'm really sorry I'm impressed that you remember that there was something that you forgot yeah So Henry's done pretty well. He's dealt with the barons. He's got rid of all those castles. He's got this massive empire. But not everything goes according to plan, particularly when he tries to assert royal control over the church. Go on, then. Well, he thinks that his chancellor, Thomas Beckett, will make a great... Oh, yes. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, God. Yes. It's a big bit, this. Yeah, yeah. Did you think that was going to be done? I thought, no, I know. I knew it wasn't him, but I thought he was just going to go into a whole bit of like, oh, he made an abbey here, there, whatever. Yes, go on, this is a good bit. Ali's always a fan of church reform. Henry wants to deal with the church, bring it into uh, into line, particularly in terms of justice, because the church has got its own system. Mm. But Thomas Beckett, formerly his loyal chancellor, when he becomes Archbishop of Canterbury, is not quite so compliant. Mm. They have a massive falling out. Beckett spends uh, nearly a decade in exile, and it all culminates in 1171 when Thomas Beckett is murdered at the altar of Canterbury Cathedral. I mean, that's <laughs> top ten. It is, it, we scored him ten, didn't we? We will come to that. <laughs> <laughs> How do, to be fair, it's quite a while since we've actually done any form of podcast. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit rusty around the edges. Uh, So the church reforms don't go quite according to plan when the archbishop is lying dead at the altar of the cathedral. Yeah, that's good. His family is also a bit troublesome. He's got a number of sons, which usually is actually quite a good thing, but unfortunately they're all very powerful and very ambitious, and they all want a slice of the Angevin pie. Mm. And Henry's really struggling to try and make sure that this person gets this territory and they get this castle. And the problem really comes when Henry favours his youngest son, John, and none of the others like John, and they're all quite grumpy when Henry starts giving some of their castles to John. Well, but John being the absolute youngest, isn't he at the bottom of the pile? He is. He was nicknamed John Lackland for quite a while because Henry just didn't have anything to give to him. But, but why is he his favourite? He seemed awful. I think it was because the others were so strong and powerful and causing him so many problems that he probably just liked the one that wasn't. Giving him grief. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1173, when uh, he tries to give some castles and territories to John. Eleanor, who has also fallen out with Henry because he was having an affair with Rosamund Clifford, Fair enough. incites three of Henry's four sons into rebellion, along with the King of France, King of Scots, and various powerful counts across Europe. Eek. Who's the King of Scots at this time? Uh, this is William the Lion Okay. at this time, the Don't one that he rolled out of bed and oh, yeah, yeah, chewed yeah, the yeah, straw. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. So it's not looking very good for Henry, but such is the amazing Henry II, he is able to defeat all of his enemies all across Europe. William the Lion actually gets captured and has to pay for Henry to garrison his own castles. <laughs> the sons are all forgiven, but Eleanor is imprisoned for the rest of the reign. Right, yeah, nasty. Nasty piece of work, I'd say, Graham. He's, he's going down in my estimation. Oh dear, well, unfortunately he's... Um, no, that's, that would be a very bad way of phrasing it. He's not going to live for much longer because <laughs> Richard the Lionheart in 1189 is yeah. preparing to go off on a crusade and he's a bit worried that if he goes away, Henry will die and just give everything to John. Yeah. So Richard teams up with the King of France and rebels against Henry and this time Henry's luck runs out. He's uh, stuck at Le Mans, has to flee for the first time in his life, actually just completely has to run away and he's eventually surrounded 
has to do homage to the King of France, and soon after hearing that even John has abandoned him, he dies aged 56. Oh, man. He could have, he could have done even better if he'd just lived a bit longer. <laughs> well, yes, uh, for, for many of our kings could have achieved yeah. more if they'd... <laughs> <laughs> but what what was this beef with um, Richard? They could have like I, don't I guess know. just Richard's just very ambitious, very strong. He's got his own sense of what he wants to do, and Henry doesn't like giving up control. Mm. Okay, all right. So sad end, good reign. Indeed. How about Robert the Bruce? Let's have a listen. Oh, it's a Robert the Bruce fan of the audience. <laughs> yeah. Not as many as the Eleanor fans, but <laughs> uh, a bit of backgroundy stuff for Robert the Bruce, and that's really all about. Edward I. Oh, yeah, come on. I'm all ears. <laughs> Edward I basically subsumed Scotland into England yes, when in 1296 does. John Balliol has to abdicate. Edward takes all of the crown jewels, the Stone of Schoon, and Scotland is without a king. It's basically... Well, Edward I is there. Well, he's he, doing a great job. He doesn't even count it as a kingdom. He just says, well, this is just part of England yeah, now. Fine. He's not even the king of Scots. There's just no king of Scots. Brilliant. So, Henry II. <laughs> this Edward I chap sounds pretty good, yes, doesn't he? Pretty, I mean, what's the problem? <laughs> well, the problem is that Robert the Bruce isn't very happy about this. In 1304, after a series of rebellions in Scotland has failed, most famously, of course, William Wallace, that you've already mm. mentioned for Braveheart, uh, in 1304, the most powerful noble in the land, John Comyn, arranges a peace treaty with Edward I. No more war between England and Scotland. Right. But Robert the Bruce still wants to be king of Scots. Yeah. So he's got a plan. In 1306, he decides to have a meeting with Mr. Comyn, stabs him in a church, Comyn's dead, Bruce rushes off and getting himself crowned. Oh, that moved really quite quickly there. Hang on. Well, <laughs> this, this, this is the luxury that John Comyn didn't get. <laughs> yeah. Hang on a minute. So Comyn was meeting with Edward to make peace. No, no Comyn, well, yeah, Comyn has made peace with Edward. Right. And then a couple of years later, Robert the Bruce says to Comyn, do you fancy a chat? Yeah, stabs him. Stabs him and says, right, I'm king now. And so all the peace with Edward's off. Exactly. So Edward, of course, isn't going to be very happy about this. Mm. The Comyn family, who are very powerful in Scotland, aren't going to be very happy about this. So Robert yeah. the Bruce has got quite a big job to restore Scottish independence. Mm, yeah, big time. So because you've got, um, this time, Edward's still in Scotland. He's, he hasn't sort of... Edward's at home, but he's obviously going to... He's going to kick off, isn't he? Kick off and oh. come north. <laughs> well, unfortunately for Robert the Bruce, it doesn't go very well. Before Edward even actually gets there, Robert the Bruce is defeated in a couple of battles. Um, his womenfolk are put up in cages by Edward I. I mean, everyone's got a skeleton in the closet. We'll just... <laughs> just just Edward just hangs them on the outside of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> if we just put that on the, on the negative pile and we'll come back and look at it later. Women folk imprisoned, a couple of his brothers are rather brutally murdered, and Robert the Bruce is forced to go into exile. Robert the Bruce's brother is killed? Yes. Right. Fine. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> so Robert the Bruce is in a small island called Rathlin, just off Ireland, and this is where we have the legend of the spider in the cave, where oh, yeah. Robert the Bruce is inspired, watching this spider try, try again to get a spider's web actually made. Yeah. And he thinks, well, I'm going to try, try again and become king of Scots. And he escapes? He... Well, he leaves the island. Well, I thought he was in prison there, wasn't he? No, he's in exile. 
Oh, right, fine. So he's he just run away. I, in my mind, he was in a cave, like looking at a spider. <laughs> but he was actually having quite a nice time, like being just self Just taking exile. inspiration from a spider. He was on holiday. Yeah. Okay. He's just, just taking a gap year from the kingdom. <laughs> Anywhere but Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. But he comes back to Scotland. And this time he's got new tactics, guerrilla warfare. He's going to be a bit more sneaky. He spends the next few years defeating his enemies in Scotland. And he's boosted, of course, by the fact that Edward I does die in 1307. That is the big problem with Edward. And the new king, Edward II, is not quite the same calibre yeah, yeah, as his yeah, father. Yeah, not quite the same. But imagine if he'd lived. Indeed. <laughs> he would have faced that. He'd have faced a lot of trouble if Edward was still around, I'm sure. But he didn't have to. Edward I is dead. We don't need to talk about him anymore tonight. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Without Edward I there, Robert the Bruce is able to defeat all of his enemies in Scotland. Yeah. He then sets about recapturing all of the castles that have been garrisoned by the English over the next yeah. few years. And then it all culminates in 1314 when he besieges Stirling Castle. Edward II comes to relieve it. And the Scots are defeated at the... Sorry, the Scots are victorious. The English are defeated. <laughs> Rex fact. <laughs> the Scots win the Battle of Bannockburn. It's a massive defeat for Edward II. And it confirms that Robert the Bruce, definitely King of Scots, and everything's okay. But it, and it, it, it's this point where we it's definitely its own kingdom isn't it from then there was always a question are they vassals of the king of england or well the problem was that robert the bruce thought that this should have uh, tidied things up but yeah. edward ii uh, continues not to acknowledge him as king says no everything still stands but then well so then robert the bruce thinks well i better try a little bit harder yeah so he leads a series of raids into northern england he invades ireland to try and Why? see off a potential western invasion oh. from england Series of victories for the Scots, but we still have stalemate. Edward is refusing to acknowledge him. Edward is younger than Robert the Bruce, who doesn't have a son at this point. Mm. So it's all looking a little bit dodgy. Robert the Bruce has got a ticking ticking clock here, and he's mm. got to sort it out before it's too late. Uh, of sorting out a son? Or a son and indeed just politics and warfare. Mm. Tricky. Thankfully, he's able to do it. In 1324, when he's 50 years old, he finally produces a son and heir. Mm -hmm. And then in 1327, the English actually take care of Edward for him because Edward II is overthrown by his own queen, Isabella. Oh, yeah. The old... <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> for uh, people listening on the audio, oh, we yeah. just made a, uh, a particular finger motion that would leave no one in any doubt as to what happened to Edward II. Yeah, so Edward is overthrown and... Isabella and Roger Mortimer, her lover, have to decide what to do about the Scots. So they send a new expedition up north to deal with the Scots, yet again are defeated. And this time they do come to terms. A treaty is signed which acknowledges Robert the Bruce as King of Scots, Scotland as independent, and there's even a marriage deal between the Bruce's son and the new King Edward III's sister. Well, does that go ahead? Does that it does go ahead, and this is all done just in time, because one year later, 1329, Robert the Bruce, whose health has been failing for a number of years, dies at the age of 55, with everything just completed. That's looking pretty tasty, isn't it? Compared to Henry, where it all fell apart a bit at the end, mm. he's been doing nation building, and he ends on a high. I mean, his son was a bit rubbish, wasn't he? It was, but you know, but you can't, can't, help that. can't help that. But Henry, that so it's so parallel far, fortunes, isn't it? Because Henry yeah. started really, really strong, mm. 
and had lots of sons, and they ultimately bring it all into chaos. Whereas Robert the Bruce starts with chaos, desperately needs to find a son, and at the end he's actually achieved everything he wanted. So they kind of do it all yeah, in reverse true. slightly. Mm, funny. Yeah. But, you know, they both come after a sort of nadir in their relative country's history, the anarchy for England, the walls of independence for Scotland. Yeah. Both have to reassert royal control, both have to sort all of that out. Maybe that's why they were the champions, because the first person that could put it right after such a low point, mm. it looks relatively good, but actually is really good. And they're also both so active, they die at pretty much the same age. 55 oh, right. for Robert the Bruce, 56 for Henry II. What did he die of? Robert the Bruce? Yeah. Just being a bit old and a bit manky skin. <laughs> the old manky skin. <laughs> hate that. Okay. What did, what did um, Henry die of? Um, I thought it was stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Bloody stuff and manky skin. It's the scourge of the Middle Ages. I think he had some blood poisoning or something, oh, actually. Right, okay. Lord Henry. Anyway, those are the life and reigns of Robert the Bruce and Henry II. So now we're going to look at them factor by factor to see if that's going to help you make your final decision. Okay. Can you remember which one comes first? Scott, uh, Batley Nurse. Yes. All right. <clears throat> Batley Nurse. Good. So Henry II first again. <laughs> Sorry, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, the, the applause is probably going to get less as the episode yeah. goes on, I fear. But you've established you can do it now. Yeah. So Henry II first up, he has got quite a lot of uh, impressive battliness to his mm. name. He's got a reputation as a castle breaker. Uh, but builders, he did Dover, didn't he? He builds them as well. He does both. He does okay. both. Initially, he's got to break them because we've got all of these nobles with their own private castles. Oh, crap ones, fine. That's all right. I thought you meant big ones. Everyone thought that these were impregnable because yeah. it's been years and years not being able to get into them. We have this standoff and see, uh, stalemate in the Civil War. Yeah. Henry just chucks resources at it all over the place. Lots and lots of mercenary troops, lots of money and equipment. And he's able to capture them very, very quickly and makes quite short work of them all. Brilliant. But as you say, he then goes on to build newer and better ones. ones. We've got lovely ones with big stone keeps. Mm -hmm. Dover Castle, of course. Lovely castle. That's a, that's a beautiful castle right there. <laughs> Love it. Still served in the Second World oh, War. Oh, that was Dover. my Rex fact. Oh. Oh, <laughs> Still served in the Second World War. <laughs> Stephen had lost a lot of territory during the anarchy. Pretty much all of northern England fell to David I of Scotland. Mm. The Welsh had been problematic and Stephen had lost Normandy, all of this stuff. But Henry, again, brings it all back together, very quickly takes back uh, Yorkshire and Lancashire and Cumbria, etc., from, uh, from the Scots. Mm -hmm. Goes off to Ireland in 1171, the first time an English king has taken some form of rule over the Irish. Ooh. That, that didn't end well. It's Do fine, we though. The Pope said that it was okay. Oh, fine. So okay, fine. it was obviously okay. Right. He had a bit less success uh, when he went to Wales, tried to conquer it, but wasn't able to. Oh, interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. unlike, um, you know, Edward I? I told you I'd make him go. Get, get him back, back in. in. I, I set that one up for you there, didn't yeah. I? Um, he was actually almost killed in uh, one battle, Henry, but he does re-establish control over the borders. So even though he doesn't conquer it, he's still But he's probably dominant. fighting then. Uh, I'm not sure if he fought. It was more that he got ambushed oh, okay. and it looked a little bit hairy. Mm -hmm. But still. Yeah, good. Borders good under control. Yeah. The main thing for Henry, of course, is the Angevin Empire. Mm -hmm. So he's king of England. He's got rule over Ireland, some form of dominance over Wales. He's garrisoning all the castles in Scotland after William the Lion uh, got captured. Yeah. And then, as you said, the left of France is a huge amount of territory. He actually owns more of France than the king of France. Brilliant. 
That's such a weird concept, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but he still had to do homage to him for that land. Yeah. So he's sort of looking after it, slash owning it. Mm. Mm. It's not exactly a centralised empire that we might think of today. It's actually, I think, a 19th century term, the Angevin Empire. Oh, right. It's really more sort of disparate territories that Henry just held together just by sheer force of personality. Okay. And, of but, course, his ability to get everywhere incredibly quickly. So he wouldn't have seen London as his capital of his entire empire. That was just London. Was yeah. Capital of okay. Yeah. And, of course, he has the big threat in 1173 when Eleanor inspired that great revolt mm. against mm. him all across Europe, 18 months that it was going on. But he chased Louis and uh, his eldest son, the young Henry, into France. Richard got chased off into Poitou, captured the King of Scots, imprisoned Eleanor, and he defeated all comers. It was a That's pretty fantastic. good job. Yeah, really good. So you've got two two kings against him, King of France, King of Scotland, yeah. and all of his princes. Yeah. And he sees them all off. Yeah. Amazing. And Eleanor. And Eleanor, yeah, 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 quite right. Wow. On the other hand, for Henry, he's surprisingly not a great campaigner when he's actually on the offensive. So he's quite, he's very good at besieging, he's very good at sort of turning up, being in the right place and doing that sort of thing. But mm. actually, he doesn't have any great battles to his name. Yeah, it's not a pitched... Pitch, there's not a bannock burn. Yeah, he actually doesn't really like warfare particularly. He's said to be more grieved by deaths than joys at victory. He's what, sorry? More grieved by the deaths of the people who fought than he is happy by the victory that he gains. Oh, so he's, that's pretty good, isn't it? He's Technically, it's very laudable, but yeah. for battliness, it's yeah, rough. Yeah. Rubbish, <laughs> yeah. He's got okay. it all wrong. Good. Can't imagine Edward would have had the same... same no, I, I don't think yeah. he had that same hang-up. That's twice? <laughs> <laughs> And really, yeah, it's, it's family is the problem for yeah. Henry. From 11, up to 1170, Henry's probably controlling most of what's going on. Yeah. But after that, he's just struggling to keep up, struggling to deal with his children. And ultimately, it's Richard, of course, who brings him down, surrounds him um, at Chinon. Well, in, initially at Le Mans, and he flees, but then surrounded at Chinon, where he has to pay homage to the King of France. And his final words, now let everything go as it will. I care no longer for myself or anything else in the world. Shame. Shame on a conquered king. Oh, man. It's not a way to go. Bit of a downer. Yeah. God, bring the room down. There's already someone <laughs> dying. Yeah, oh, gosh. Shall we move on to Robert the Bruce? Yes, please. He starts badly mm -hmm. with those early defeats, of course. Yeah. Women in, spi uh, women in spiders. Women in cages. <laughs> He's looking at spiders. <laughs> yeah. This probably would have been worse. <laughs> But after that, it's just unrelenting success, really, for Robert the Bruce. Um, we have the Scottish Civil War for about three years. The odds are against him. He's facing the English. He's facing all of these powerful families. But he just wins it. Over three years, he defeats them all. We've got these dramatic mountainside battles. He's outflanking people by climbing up even higher and then coming down. Cool. We've got spikes in the ground to take out the English cavalry, all hidden it's all very boy's own. Uh, Mel did that in uh, Braveheart as well, though, didn't he? That's probably where course. Robert yeah. got the idea. Uh, yeah. for, uh, I imagine so. <laughs> he's a yeah. big fan of the film. <laughs> but he, and he really is fighty-fighty, isn't he? He's, he's um, right on the front line. Yeah, he's probably fighty-fighty. After they've taken out uh, the Scots, uh, mainly at Inverurie, he defeats the Commons. He was actually ill, but he gets out of his sickbed. And apparently just the mere sight of him was enough to precipitate a small uh, God, he must look flight. dreadful. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't go near him, don't go near him. <laughs> I've got the flappy skin thing. <laughs> Terrible. 
But after that, he's got to capture the castles, rather like uh, yeah. Henry II. Whereas Henry throws loads of resources at it, it's all a little bit more adventury with Robert the Bruce. So he leads quite a dramatic assault on Perth Castle. His uh, Lieutenant the Black Douglas captured Roxburgh Castle by pretending to be a cow. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? How? I mean, what? <laughs> so Douglas and his men... Because it's dark and, you know, they don't have lights That's not on. a good excuse. If you, were, if you were his boss and said, it was dark, it, you said, that wouldn't be a good enough they excuse. They told me they were cows. I <laughs> couldn't see any different. Oh, is this a Trojan horse scenario? There's a giant cow going in? Or? I think they're all dressed as cows, or they're all sort of hidden in such a way that you might mistake them for cows. Oh, my God. Like... A- that's just blown my mind (laughs) sword wielding cows I don't think they maintained the appearance of cows for the entirety of the uh, the operation (laughs) fantastic (laughs) love it it's a uniform of sorts yeah yeah. you know your friends yeah yeah. I mean maybe you're right maybe you're right I just made an assumption but yeah I can't see any other reason for dressing up as a cow if you've got (laughs) Sieging a castle and there's 30,000 cows in front of this castle. You would go, blimey, it's a lot of cows. You go, we better let them in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You think, That's the safest thing to do. There's the enemy dressed as cows. They've clearly gone and said, no problem, lock the door. I think you need to do a bit more research into that, Graham, before you start spouting all these rumours of cows. On the other hand, I really hope that's in the film. Yes. Oh, my God, yeah. If it's not, they chickened out, didn't they? Try and explain this away. Oh, can't wait. Well, not quite as entertaining as that, but also quite impressive. Another one of his lieutenants, Randolph, captured Edinburgh Castle. He was given a secret path up the rocks. So they went up at night, traversing the rocks, and then surprised everyone, popping in. Treachery from inside. Mm. Mm. But the biggie, of course, was the final castle of Stirling, which... uh, Ends up with the Battle of Bannockburn. Mm. Oh, so that was... This is all leading up to Bannockburn. So he's taking out all of his Scottish enemies. He captures all of the castles. The last one is Stirling Castle. Mm. And that's going to fall unless the English relieve the siege. So Bannockburn was in order to take Stirling Castle? Yeah. Oh, right. Didn't know that. Mm. Mm. I mean, I probably probably might have been told in the past. <laughs> right other, now. Other than that episode we did on Robert yeah, the Bruce yeah, yeah. where I explicitly yeah. explained. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, brand new information. This is all brand new. Yeah. Now, the day before the battle, Robert the Bruce uh, is actually nearly killed because an English knight, Sir Henry de Bowen, spots the Bruce giving some uh, stirring words to his men. Yeah. And the Bruce is isolated on a small horse armed only with an axe. Whereas yeah. de Bowen is in full armour, he's got his lance, and he thinks, this is my moment to go mm-hmm. down in history. Mm-hmm. So he charges at, Henry, at uh, Robert the Bruce, tries to kill him. The Bruce sees him coming, decides to take him on, charges at him as well, avoids the lance at the last moment, picks himself up in his stirrups, cleaves his skull with his battle axe. Whoa, nurse, that's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, his men criticised him for taking too much of a risk, but he said his only regret was that he broke his favourite axe. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a sort of uh, uh, Roger Moore-style Bond comeback, doesn't it? <laughs> Didn't have a head for heights or something like that. <laughs> yeah. You can imagine him walking away in just a massive explosion for no reason at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, going yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's only the prelude. That's the day before, so the next day we actually have the Battle of Bannockburn. Okay. The Scots are significantly outnumbered by the English, but they've created a very narrow front so the English can't deploy their numbers. 
Mm-hmm. Cavalry go in to take out the Welsh archers. And then a bit of disastrous leadership for the English. And we end up with very hard fighting. And the English have got the river behind them, Scots in front of them. And it's a terrible, terrible defeat for the English. Was Edward there? How much blame can we give him? Edward was there. He ended up having to run away. And he was chased pretty hard by the Black Douglas. He left his, uh, all of his goods trains behind, all of his money, and apparently his court poet as well. <laughs> oh, not his favourite favourite. Not that one. No. Okay. But yeah, about 11,000 men are killed for the English, lots of nobles taken prisoner. Edward only narrowly escapes, mm. and it's really, really bad defeat for the English, but an amazing victory for Robert the Bruce. Yeah, fantastic. Like a nation-building type victory. Yeah. Brilliant. But as we said, it wasn't finished, so he then goes on, takes mm. uh, lots of damage from the north, has a bit of a sort of protection racket going on because he's taking money. They're basically like 13th century Vikings for the Yorkshire and Lancashire. He invades Ireland. Wasn't a great success ultimately, but his brother was briefly recognised as the High King. Oh, right. Until he got killed. Ah, yeah. But up to that point, it had gone quite well. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, Edward is sent running at Bannockburn. He tried again in 1319 with about uh, 10,000 men at Berwick, but the Scots just charge at York and Edward is forced to come back. Oh, it was hopeless, wasn't he? My word. And then 1322, he led 20,000 men north, but again, Robert the Bruce wastes the land, charges after them as they retreat, and Edward is not only forced to run, he doesn't only leave all of his goods behind, he even leaves his wife behind. So Isabella was only rescued by sea. Um, to a castle at the last moment. So she very nearly did get captured by the Scots. Wow. No wonder she hates him in Braveheart. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So all very impressive. And of course, finally, in 1327, he sealed the deal. We'd got a young Edward III, but he's really only a puppet ruler and a teenager. Mm. Roger Mortimer leads the campaign. The um, tent where everybody is staying for the English is raided during the night. Edward III's tent, the ropes are actually cut, so it just falls on top of it. (laughs) And yeah, and then we have that treaty which recognises the Bruce as king, Scotland as independent. That's like the final insult. It's something from Dad's army where they're trying to put a tent up (laughs) and all the ropes get cut. Terrible. He'd have come out with his glasses one Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If we're going to say anything against Robert the Bruce, it's really that he's a bit lucky with his timings. Yeah. Because... Edward I died, of course, right at the start. Edward III, at the end, is just a teenager. He's not really yet into his full pomp. So Robert the Bruce just gets Edward II, Mm. who's not so good. No... But I suppose it's it's you can't he can't help that. It's not you, he know, can't, you can only like in boxing, we do this often, you can only fight who's put in front of you. Yeah. And he um and he won every time. Well, apart from the beginning mm. at the Commons, but that was just the Civil War bit. You'd when, rather win at the end than the beginning yeah. generally, I think, is Un- a, unlike Henry. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, again that parallel fortune. Henry sorts everything out at the mm. start, but the Bruce sorts it all out at the end. Mm. Mm. So what I, are you thinking? Baffliness? Who are you I, who do you I, take on in a fight? Or who would you want to oh, right, fight yeah. for you? Uh, um, uh, <laughs> ah, before tonight, before all this, I definitely thought Henry II. Because in my mind, Robert the Bruce was very, very strong in an era of really weak Scottish kings. But actually, it's really good. Mm. I guess the difference is Robert the Bruce is clearly stronger in terms of actual battles like mm. if someone's going to fight there and then you probably fancy robert the bruce yeah but in terms of sheer resources yeah henry yeah. the second's got an awful lot to bring to the table so he can maybe sort quite a lot out without actually having to need to do it robert yeah. the bruce is doing all of this just to be 
king of the country he's already meant to be king of. Yeah. Imagine if Robert was king of England with all of those resources behind him. Well, that's the alternative, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. I, I'm, I'm pushing towards Robert. He I'm got he got 20 out of 20 for battling this Robert, uh, Robert Henry Bruce. Henry, he still did quite well. He got 17 out of 20. See, this, it, you, <laughs> it's the way you tell it to me. You, you can lead me like a puppet. Yes, I'm definitely backing Robert here. Mm. Q. Scandal. <laughs> okay. I think that was tactical. I think you were unhappy last time. You did it too well. <laughs> <laughs> no, genuinely forgot. <laughs> so, obviously, this is your favourite category. Yeah. Henry II has got plenty to go on. He's got about 11 illegitimate children. The love affair with Rosamund Clifford led to the breakdown of his marriage with Eleanor and ultimately this massive rebellion across Europe. That was silly. I'm not going to give him a ding for that. Um, Eleanor of Aquitaine had previously been married to the French king, Louis VII, yeah. but yeah, then yeah. she divorced him and married Henry just a few weeks later, mm, mm. which may have added a little bit of spice to the uh, <laughs> Anglo-French relations. Yeah, but what a, what a powerful marriage. That's fantastic. Mm. And ultimately, of course, he imprisons her for the rest of the reign. <laughs> he does make things up with Louis the Seventh, and yeah. um, Louis has a second marriage and he has some children there. So there's a marriage agreement between Richard the Lionheart and Philip's daughter Alice. So Alice comes over to England, but ends up becoming Henry's lover what? instead of Richard. <laughs> no, that's horrible. Did uh, did Eleanor have kids with Philip before she married Henry? Uh, she didn't have any sons. Did she have daughters? She might have had daughters. No, but this not isn't one of them, so it's not Richard's sister. Oh, thank God. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But nevertheless, Henry has... That would, hang on, that would make her... Oh, God, stepdaughter? It, it doesn't matter, it didn't happen, it's fine. It's fine, it's creepy either way. Either way, it's a bit creepy and added tension both with Louis and indeed with Richard. He's not helping himself. He's not helping himself, no. that's true. Uh, the biggie, though... It's Thomas Beckett. Oh, yeah. There we go. One, two, three, four, five. That takes him up to ten, doesn't it? I lost count at the start. Well, it probably should have done. Yeah. Um, the murder of the Archbishop of Canterbury at the altar of, Can of Canterbury Cathedral. Yeah. I mean, that's... Amazing. That's pretty bad. Yeah. Oh. I mean, it wasn't him that did it, if we're going to be in his defence. Well, this is the crucial question. So, famously, um, he was meant to have said, who will rid me of this turbulent priest? And then four drunken knights listened to this and thought, oh, well, I suppose we'll do it. Mm. And headed off to England and killed him. Maybe he used different words, but did he actually mean for somebody to actually kill Thomas Beckett or was he just mouthing off like he did with William the Lion? If he just chewed some straw, would yeah, Beckett yeah. still be alive today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, uh. We'll never know. I can't help but think that he might have said it, who will rid me of this troublesome priest? <laughs> Directly at them, so he can have a little get-out clause. I mean, I'm not saying I want you to, yeah. but won't anyone? Yeah. And then he did all his penance for it, didn't he? So well, he, he did eventually, but initially he tried to get on the front foot. So uh -huh. when everyone is scandalised across uh, Europe, obviously, the Pope, obviously pretty high up that list of people being a bit, uh, <laughs> bit irked about Beckett's death, but Henry is actually saying, well, I mean, to be fair, you know, he was incredibly intransigent. He was causing all these problems. He was excommunicating people left, right and centre. Mm. I mean, you know, he probably can understand how it might have happened. 
Yeah, there's only one course of action there. So it's only later, really, that Henry then is like, oh, no, I feel really bad about this. It sounds like he was forced. It sounds like he had something to gain out of apologising, was he? It was a bit more of a political decision, perhaps, than an actually sincere show of regret. Okay. Hmm. Robert the Bruce. Mm -hmm. He's only got five illegitimate children. (laughs) Not quite as many as Henry. (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it? Um, acknowledged by different women, though, apparently. So, you know, he's moving moving around in those long bachelor years while his wife was uh, in a cage. <laughs> it may have been between wives. I'm not sure on the timing of it, to be fair. His wife was put in a cage by Edward. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. And sisters and some other ladies. Oh, dear. It's not like... Good thing we're not doing Edward till tomorrow. <laughs> um, it's possible, in fact, that his ill health and the dodgy skin complaint may actually have been... From a venereal disease rather than leprosy. Ah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> some, some consolation for his yeah, discomfort. Great. He's a bit untrustworthy. He initially sides with Edward I in the Wars of Independence. Yeah. Then he becomes guardian of Scotland, fighting for the Scots. Then he submits to Edward again. He's not really trusted by anybody in 1304, so that's why he has to uh, invite John Comyn to a certain church. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course... We have another murder in a church. Oh, yeah. God, this is, there's so many parallels. I can yeah. see why you chose this. <laughs> Just, I'm on board. I've got it. Yeah. The difference here, of course, is that Robert the Bruce really can't blame four drunken knights on mm. the other side of the country yeah, because yeah, he yeah. actually stabs him himself in person. <laughs> That's much better for his scandal score, actually. Dude. It is. I don't think he actually finished him off, so he actually got some of his armed followers outside to go in and just double-check. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Like, so he stabbed him, presumably, mortally, and mm. then left the church and just said to his friends, can you just check a lot of the car? You know, just, <laughs> yeah. just, just go and, go and You know, check. you always forget, don't you? Did yeah. I definitely did put I the sword in? I oh, just... That, I mean, that would I'll be awful. It. I'll do it. It would. That would be worse than not locking the car if he survived that. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so I think we should have given him more points for that than we did Henry. Did we? Well, we, well this is the thing. We didn't give Henry the full maximum 20 out of 20, which looking back was perhaps a bit surprising, given yeah. how much there was there. I think it was because of the Thomas Beckett thing. We weren't sure he meant it to happen. Oh, I'd I take but. it back. I think he definitely did. No. <laughs> what, what about Robert? Did we give him big score? So Henry got 17 and a half out of 20. Robert the Bruce got 16 out of 20. So they both scored yeah. quite highly. Yeah. Both, That's, you know... Ended Best up children. with somebody dead in a church that shouldn't have been dead in a church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll give them both 20 in my mind. I'm giving them both 20. So this is really perfect scandal. Yeah, it's, it's spot on. They've done really very well there. They should be really ashamed of themselves. <laughs> well, let's see if we can find something more laudable. Okay. Subjectivity! <laughs> Well, there is actually quite a lot here. Henry II does an awful lot. He's actually probably one of the few monarchs that we can really say genuinely wants to improve the life of his subjects. Mm-hmm. First off, um, he does a bit of de-anarchizing. <laughs> is that a word? I think it might be. Um, he gets rid of all those foreign mercenaries, destroys the rebel castles so that royal control is much more centralised again than it had been previously. It doesn't give any new earldoms, no new land grants, restores royal finances, and the crown is once again in control. Mm-hmm. This allows him to introduce all of these lovely law and order reforms. Carry on. I'll just... I'm here in person. <laughs> he replaces corrupt sheriff with uh, trustworthy, itinerant justices, so they go off on little circuits around the country, mm-hmm. making sure that justice is being done. 
um, and it's more systematic and nationwide than was previously done. The biggie is uh, legal reforms. The Assize of Clarendon in 1166, trial by ordeal or combat is largely removed. That's good. And instead, we have a... St- <laughs> <laughs> good that he's got rid of it or the well, original... Good that he's got rid of it. I mean, I, I, trial by ordeal, I would, I'd fail every time. Wouldn't you like you say... You're, yeah, exactly. It's a rubbish way of checking if someone's innocent or guilty. I confess. Yeah, definitely. He re- uh, replaces it instead with uh, the principle of a trial by jury, in effect. All right. So we've got 12 lawfully elected, uh, not elected, but just 12 lawful men have to report under oath any accusations of crime they're aware of in the area and see that they are uh, dealt with appropriately. Oh, what, they report the crime as well? They're like police type things? Yeah, so they're raising uh, the issues and then making sure that they're all dealt with. Sounds open to corruption, but on the right lines. They're the right sort of people is the idea. Um, and he's establishing the principles of English common law because mm. what he does here is he codifies a lot of these things. A lot of things is written down for the first time. Mm. And he sits on judgments uh, in person himself, gives a lot of pretty good and well thought out uh, judgments because he does actually take it seriously. He's mm. up all night debating with people certain reforms and codes yeah. and that kind of thing. Mm. So it's the first time that it's really codified and that then they establish the principle of... Um, a word that I now can't remember. Habeas corpus? No. No. <laughs> Hang on, I've got another one in here. Okay. I, I'd hoping you'd have got it by then. And then I could say, yes, that's it. I don't know. Anyone know? No. No one's got the word. Good. It's where the, it's basically that if something's been done before, if they've made a ruling on it before... Thank you. There we go. <laughs> so that is basically the foundation of how the legal system develops from there on in. Henry's the guy that kicks it off. Ah, brilliant. Very good. Can Robert match him? Well, he's not yet finished uh, for Henry. Right. um, Because Henry's also a very generous man. Yeah. He's humble himself, but he doesn't actually mind giving out the money. 1176, there was a famine in Maine and Anjou, so he sent grain to feed 10,000 people and opened up all of his uh, storehouses in the area. Nice man. He had employed a Templar knight to distribute one-tenth of royal court food to the poor. Mm -hmm. And he took action to protect victims of shipwrecks with penalties for robbers. Previously, it was just seen as fair game if a ship was wrecked in your area. But now, he's actually protecting them. And he also does quite a lot privately. Some of these things are public, but he also does quite a lot of almsgiving in private. I'm just a bit concerned that I think if I saw something washed up on shore today like a bmw motorbike that happened a couple of years ago i think i'm i might have it i don't remember when the bmw (laughs) oh it washed up what was it there's a big container ship crashed in cornwall oh not not for you on your boat no no god no no i was the one crashing (laughs) yeah uh we'll cut that carry on well against him of course um he can be a little bit tyrannical, as we saw with the Thomas Beckett affair. He wasn't exactly willing to compromise and find an equitable solution. Yeah. Um, there are other examples where his temper was not quite as funny as with the William the Lion example. When the uh, Welsh campaign failed, he had 22 prisoners mutilated. Ooh. And uh, there was also a writ that he delivered to Winchester where he decreed, I order you to hold a free election. 
But nevertheless, I forbid you to elect anyone except Richard, my clerk, no, the Archdeacon of Poitiers. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> he must, so he, he, was, he was just playing around with them. He knew exactly what he was saying. No, knew exactly what oh, he was doing. Um, and because of the Beckett conflict, he didn't actually sort out all of those church reforms. He wanted to deal with criminous clerks, which is where basically about a sixth of the population were technically part of the clergy. Mm. And the church has got its own separate system for dealing with that so people could get away mm. with quite serious crimes with not really very much punishment also appeals going over his head to the pope he wanted to get rid of all of this stuff but because becker ended up dead and it was also scandalous he actually had to accept it and didn't make the reforms ah so you could still have people getting away with crimes because they were priests or whatever yeah mm, bad news still good about the other stuff indeed how about robert the bruce how about him Oh, hello. Oh, he's gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that might be my phone's run out of battery that was providing that. Imagine Robert the Bruce. And what's he doing? Well, he is restoring Scottish independence. That's quite a, quite a thing to boast about. As you yeah. said, kingship has been uncertain really since 1286, removed completely in 1296. Mm-hmm. But Robert the Bruce gets it all back, secures Scotland at Bannockburn, and of course that treaty just before he dies, finally the English have acknowledged Scotland is an independent country. I'd be surprised if he's got time to do anything else, like any of these reforms or whatever, because he spent the whole time just trying to make Scotland one country. Then, well, yeah, and the problem is, that, like you said, because he dies just after this happens and he's only got an infant son who's got to deal with um, Edward III about to come into his prime and quite cross about this whole recognising Scotland business. Whoops. How successful this is going to be long term is limited, but in terms of what he could do, Mm. it's pretty good. It does come at a bit of a cost, though, with all that warfare. Mm. Scotland had just agreed peace before Robert the Bruce comes to the throne after about 20 years of really hard fighting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Robert kills someone in the church and just kicks it all off again. Yeah, not so good if you're going to be a subject. And particularly if you're in the south of Scotland, we've got all of this scorched earth policy. They burn down all the castles that they capture. It's a really pretty brutal period if you're living in Scotland. You're probably not getting a particularly good deal. All so that he can say he's boss. Mm. But, I mean, if you're if you're a... Scott, that's very, very important, isn't it, to be to have that? Long-term legacy, yeah. much stronger. Short-term, maybe not as fun. Mind you, I was thinking that with um, with Henry, that he put the uh, anarchy to bed, the mm. anarchization, as you said. Yes. And then, um, but it sort of all started again when he had all his sons rebelling. Yes, yeah, so the, the difference, I suppose, is that that's maybe on a sort of a higher level of conflict, whereas the anarchy would have been much more of an issue for people on the street because law right. and order is breaking down. So when oh. his sons are rebelling, we don't see law and order breaking down. It's just men at the top playing with their toys, really. Right. OK. Yeah. Got you. Mm. Robert the Bruce, though, we said we've got that long term legacy. One of the most powerful examples of this is the Declaration of Our Broth. This was uh, issued in 1320. The Pope had actually excommunicated the Scots because they kept on fighting the English and the Pope wanted them all to team up on a crusade. So the Scots have got to justify to everybody why they're still fighting. Yeah. So they have to explain how awful Edward I was, all the damage that he'd done to the country, what a terrible man he was. And also that Scotland is an independent country. So it's got these incredibly powerful words, particularly we've got this quote here, for so long as only a hundred of us stand, we will never yield to the dominion of England. We fight not for glory, nor for wealth, nor honour, but for that freedom which no good man surrenders, but with his life. I heard something similar 
uh, <laughs> what is it? You may take our lives. <laughs> Something like that. Was that long take yeah, lines? Yeah, was, yeah, probably one was based on the other, I imagine. Not clear who influenced who. Um, it probably had limited contemporary impact. It's maybe right. a bit more subsequently that that becomes powerful, but nevertheless, it's quite a legacy to leave behind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And despite everything, he does actually govern pretty well. He's the first to hold near annual, char uh, near annual parliaments. He's got a very uh, capable chancellor. So despite all of the damage that's been done, he's actually able to get back to similar levels to Alexander III, a more successful predecessor. Was he the one that on the card looked like... Uh, Ming the Merciless. Merciless. Yeah, yes. yeah, 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 yeah. He's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. um, he's got that independence. He's got that marriage deal between uh, his son and Edward III's sister. He restores diplomatic and trade links with Europe, mm -hmm. extensive repairs to some of the war-torn districts, and despite the civil war, property disputes largely resolved in courts. He actually rules quite well, all things considered. Okay, so it's looking good for him as well. Pretty good, but... Unlike Henry, who really strengthens the crown, in yeah. this period it's probably getting worse for Robert the Bruce because of the way he became king with all that division. To get people back on side, he has to give them land. Yeah. So the royal land and territories is ah, significantly diminished right. because yeah. he has to give away his own land to other people. Consequently, the crown is actually much poorer at the end of the reign than it would have been under predecessors. In fact, he has to ask for a special tax uh, in 1326, because he doesn't really have the means to support himself appropriately for a manifestation. No. And this is a major issue for the people coming afterwards. That's where the Stuarts have such an issue trying to re-establish the monarchy above all the nobles, because the crown's really lost quite a lot of its power oh, and right. wealth so in this period. Becoming like a figure, figurehead mm. type role. Um, that's pretty poor for the, for um, his son. It was pretty poor for his son, but again, it's that thing where he had to live in the moment, he had to get done what he needed to get done. He probably wasn't thinking about that kind of issue for 20 yeah. years down the line. He's just thinking, I need these guys to stop yeah, he's trying to stab me in the back, the yeah, have yeah. some land, we'll deal with it later. Okay. So at least, so if, even if it's weaker, it's now legitimate and definite, the, king, the kingdom of Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, it's pretty good. Hmm. So how do they compare? How are you looking at them at this point? I, I th I'm... Perhaps, perhaps leaning towards um, Henry, mm. just because there's a lot of stuff there that we still recognise today, the trial by jury and stuff, mm. um, and going from anarchy to some some normality. Although it went a bit wrong at the end, that seems to have greater impact than well, the old Scotland thing in there. <laughs> Scotland is also still with us today. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I, no, I'll, still, I'll stick with Henry, um, just because if we're thinking of this period, uh, then he leaves, the, he leaves the crown a little bit weaker. Mind you, so does Henry, with, the, with splitting it between his sons. I guess the difference is that actually Henry doesn't split it between his sons because Richard just ends up taking it all. So actually, although Henry ends quite badly... He doesn't end badly because his enemies have defeated him. His enemy is his own son. Yeah. So Richard's fine. Yeah. He's just desperately... Like how uh, Henry VIII uh, was trying hard to get a son to secure his dynasty. Mm. Henry's was too secure. They were biting at his ankle yeah. to take over. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll stick with Henry. Mm. I'm going Henry this one. Well, they both do a pretty good job. It's similar in the way, you know, they both have to restore royal authority. Mm-hmm. And all the anarchy and all the upheaval. Yeah. yeah. So they both scored pretty well. Remarkable parallels, Graham. Hmm. 
Do you remember what comes next? Dynasty? No, not quite. Is it the other one? Longevity! Oh, God. Look, this is massively unfair. At home, Graham looks at me and goes, like that. Also, to be fair, all of these are pre-recorded at yeah, home, so you don't actually specials. usually have to do them. Yeah, apart from the specials, yeah. you don't usually yeah, yeah, have to do them. Yeah. Uh, so these are factual, obviously. Henry II was king from 1154 uh, to 1189, which is 34.75 years. Which are we, This is going to be hard to compare because they're, they're in a different table, aren't they, between the English and Scottish monarchs as to how they rank. I'll, I'll help you out with that. Good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Robert the Bruce is king 1306 to 1329, which is 26.25 years. Ah. Um, as a score in their own series, Henry got 16, Robert the Bruce got 12 and a half. But in terms of their overall positionings combined, so the two series, all the scores combined. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've got you. Yeah, yeah. Henry came 16th, Robert the Bruce came 32nd for, dinner, Ooh, uh, for longevity. Wow. Okay. Well done, Henry. Well, it's partly because of age, because Henry started younger. He was 21, mm. Robert the Bruce is 32, but they actually die at the same time, pretty much, ah. 55 and 56. So it's actually that Henry starts a little bit earlier. Yeah. Gets those key points in quickly. If only he didn't die, as we always say. Well, indeed, indeed. <laughs> and if only Robert had been born sooner. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Mind you, Edward had probably finished him off, so. Yeah. Four times. <laughs> oh, uh... Dynasty. Not the programme. Thank you. <laughs> so Henry has four surviving children, which gave him a score of 6.67. Mm-hmm. And Robert the Bruce had three surviving children, which gave him a score so of six. Close. So it was 19th and 29th in the overall rankings in favour of Henry. Right. Four children versus three children. It's tricky. It's tricky. Um, there's not much to put between them at the moment. Well, it's funny because, as I said, for the debate uh, for dynasty, that Henry is really struggles because he has all of these yeah. sons causing him problems, whereas Robert the Bruce spends the whole time just trying to get one. Yeah. Like Henry VIII, it's just yeah. this desperate search for one son who actually turns out to be a bit rubbish. Yeah, yeah, poor chap. So Robert Bruce's dynasty actually ends with his son because his son doesn't have any children, whereas obviously Henry is the first... Plantagenet, and that yeah. goes on for hundreds of years. Oh yes, until our man Hen- uh, Richard the Third. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, um, so who comes after Bruce's son then? Who's the ne- what's the next thing? It then went to the Stuarts. Oh right, mm. oh, James's. Uh, initially, there were more Roberts, and oh. then James's. Righto. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't want to open that kettle of Probably there was a podcast that we could. Uh... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll do some research next week. So in terms of total scores, Henry II got 74.18, mm-hmm. Robert the Bruce got 70. Ooh. Very close. Henry has the best score across the two series. How, where do, but where does Robert then rank across the two series? Robert came third. <laughs> Behind? Edward. Really? <laughs> Oh, fantastic. I'm so, that is brilliant. I thought old Victoria was snuck in there with her. No, no. Edward does, in fact, come really? second of the two series. Oh, I am chuffed. <laughs> brilliant. Oh, I've quite forgotten what we're doing. Sorry. Um, uh, well, we've got their total scores. We've looked at all of those factors. I think we come to the final thing. Obviously, they both oh, yes. have this, but nevertheless, who really, really <laughs> has that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement that we call... 
<laughs> hey, we can all do it's it. It's probably easy if you just do it for him. <laughs> okay. Rex Factor! Yay! So, what are you thinking? I don't know. I think I was very surprised at how uh, Robert, uh, how I remembered Robert, perhaps, but he's doing a lot better than I thought he would. Um, I can't help but think a lot of Henry's... Uh, points come from the fact that he had these enormous resources, mm. uh, whereas Robert was trying to do all this on the back of, you know, coming from exile. Really tricky. So, so Henry's got to keep hold of all these resources just by, you know, sheer force of personality. Yeah, but even if he doesn't, it's because his sons are also pretty awesome mm. and it's all fine. Whereas Robert, it's a constant struggle, and he does really, really well. Mm. I just, I, I mean, the figures show how close it is, and I'd like to say, well, there you are, Henry's beaten him. But I don't think it's that clear. Mm. I think it's more tricky. It comes down to taste here, personality. <laughs> and I, I think I like Henry. Well, it's not up to you, of course, Ali. It's up oh, to the audience. Okay. Now, I see a few people reaching for the complex voting system that we have. Oh, we've got, oh, we've got some, uh, (laughs) what's this? Go Henry, 10 for scandal if he doesn't win. (laughs) Hashtag Rex Factor Live. And a Bruce fan next door as well. Well, So we've got a split in the audience. You should all have cards with red on one side, green on the other side. I think if we say red for Robert the Bruce, because we've got the, uh, that lion rampant there. So if you want Robert the Bruce to win, then point the red towards us, rather than towards yourself. (laughs) And if you want Henry II to win, point the green. So we want to see a red for Robert the Bruce, green for Henry II. Is that all clear? Do you know what you're... You're in charge here, Graham. I'm I'm just enjoying the spectacle. Carry on. (laughs) Okay, so let's have the votes then in three, two, one... Ooh. Oh, I think we might have to stand up for this. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to get a picture. I'm going to stand up. Uh, that's tricky. I mean, two words. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 26, and that's definitely not half the crowd. So. <laughs> tricky. Oh, I, I think that's a win for the Greens. Well. <laughs> And which would be Henry the second. Blimey. But that was very that was very close. Very close. I'll put that picture up on social media so we can pass. Yeah, we will actually count count it later. One by one. (laughs) And then we can see. So Robert the Bruce didn't quite manage it. Henry the Second is the ultimate Rex Factor champion. Well done, Henry. Brilliant. (laughs) Well, thank you, Graham. That's settled a score. It has. We know we know what's going on now. Henry is the Rex Factor champion of champions. He is. Uh, but now it's your turn to talk. Yeah, We've so got- that's the end of the, the battle. Um, but we're now going to do a Q&A. So if anyone's got any questions they'd like to ask, either about uh, tonight's battle, about uh, the other series, future series, other history stuff, what we have for breakfast... <laughs> <laughs> Now, we've got some microphones that we can uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, distribute. Do you you're wanna... that side on this one. Okay. Anyone, uh, there's a question, a question over there. There you go. You're first. Thank you. 
I don't know if I missed it, but wasn't Robert the Bruce English and from Essex? So it doesn't really... Ah, yes, I, I should have mentioned that, yeah, because yes. we're from Essex. So um, for quite a while it was thought... So, sorry, the question, if anyone didn't hear it, is Robert the Bruce from Essex. And uh, it was long thought that his father was from Essex, uh, a place called Rittle, which is just down the road from us where we do the podcast in Chelmsford, and that possibly Robert the Bruce himself was married in Rittle. But a new book's come out, and the historian speculates that actually that territory wasn't owned by the Bruce family until after Robert the Bruce's father was born. So if anyone called Robert the Bruce was born in Essex, then it was this chap. I, and that is just... I think that's beaten Bluetooth for my favourite <laughs> But Because this is really close home to me. My, my uh, closest friend in the audience over there, actually, he, he grew up in the vicarage of Rittle Church. Yeah. So all this time, it's, it's Robert the Bruce. Outrageous. <laughs> Wasn't this bigger news? It should have made the news at 10. It's an Essex boy. Yeah. It shouldn't uh, be uh, Chris Pine. It should be Danny Dyer playing Robert yeah, the Bruce. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mind you, he's got his claim, isn't he? Yeah, well, he, is, he probably is descended from him in some way. Oh, because it was Edward III. Was it Edward III he was playing? I mean, they, they're all ultimately yeah. related, aren't they? Yeah. But yes, very true. Robert yeah. the Bruce, Essex boy. Just like us. <laughs> Anybody else? Any questions? Oh, he's got oh. one at the back there and one at the front. Yeah, I, I recall a long time ago, I think, Ali, you had an accident on a bicycle. Uh, what? Yeah. Yeah. What, and it, you know, it left us tragically short of Rex Factors. <laughs> so what, what actually happened? Well, I, it was in central London. Uh, I just went straight over the handlebars, unfortunately. Uh, so it required a lot of face surgery. But I am back in the mix. And it was, it was absolutely great the way... Uh, thank you if anyone's in the audience who sent Get Well Soon messages. It, was, it really genuinely made such a difference. Uh, Graham put them all together in a little uh, album because I couldn't really uh, see very well. <laughs> Certainly not the computers for a while. Uh, and um, I was read a lot of them and it was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, but no, it was, um, yeah, no, it was, it was horrible, but all better. Thank you. And there was another question at the back that might be easier to shout out rather than us. <laughs> if that's has Ali got rats? So The Lion in Winter was uh, a film about Henry II, Eleanor of Aquitaine, four sons, all come together at Christmas. Um, widely acclaimed, star Peter O'Toole as Henry II. See, every time you say Peter O'Toole, it starts ringing bells. But I, it's the. I, mean, I think every, a lot of people know what's coming here. We've got Catherine Hepburn as Eleanor. She won an Oscar. Yeah. Richard, the Lion, Richard the Lionheart in his first film role played by Anthony Hopkins. Brilliant. And the King of France was played by Timothy Dalton. Yes, there, yeah, yeah. I remember this, yeah. No, I haven't seen the film. But I'm, I'm really hoping that we can, perhaps, perhaps we should watch it on this tour in a hotel room and we can have a video diary and uh, saying, bloody hell, it's Timothy Dalton. <laughs> you didn't yeah. tell me he was in this film. Is <laughs> uh, quite an underrated Bond. Oh, we could watch Bond. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Brilliant. Mm. Ah. So this evening just looked up. <laughs> I think the problem is that people will be disappointed if you actually ever do watch it. I'm worried I'm going to be disappointed now. What, <laughs> so, uh, Anthony Hopkins as... Richard, the Lionheart. Ah. Well, it sounds good. I'll, I'll watch it, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyone got any others? Hello. 
I'm into abuse the fact that I'm in front oh, of the microphone. <laughs> oh, my word. Hello. So I just picked it up. Hi. <laughs> um, so we all know who you regret not giving the Rex Factor to. <laughs> um, so the question that I have is, is there anyone that you regret giving it to? Oh, anyone we regret giving the Rex Factor? I mean, you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> I think... Um, we had a few other than an early example in the series... Um, there were a few that you said yes to that I didn't. So George the third, you said yes and I said no. George the sixth, you said yes and I said no. I I stand by those. I like those. Hmm. Uh, maybe there was a few of the early ones where oh, we were that's trying wrong. to get. Yeah, that's the wrong thing because we didn't give them the Rex Factor. The question is, once we did give the Rex Factor and said no. I want, the problem is that there are some of them that when you get to the playoffs and you compare them all and you think, uh, this one really, I can't think of any, like when I'm doing the notes and I'm trying to think this is what I'm, how I'm going to put it to Ali if he can't think of why. And there's some of them like, I'm not really sure what I'd actually say. So I think in the English series, lovely as he was, William the Fourth was perhaps not the... I, I mean, he was lovely with his, his pineapple head, stealing a navy. He was a lot oh, of fun. Oh, he was brilliant. He was brilliant, but... It was when you were comparing him against, you know, Henry V conquering France. And I was trying to think, what's the one thing that William IV did which is comparable to conquering France? And it was like, oh, stealing stealing the Navy. I kind of don't regret it because he was a lot of fun. But he was one doing the playoffs where I thought, I can't really think of a reason why you'd vote for him over all these other ones. Were there any early ones that we were doing the Saxons where we were trying to find a sort of Rex Factory level? That we gave. I don't oh, think we it. we didn't give out. We weren't very. Ge- you weren't very generous early on because you didn't. I mean, you didn't want to give it to Athelstan because you hadn't heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> Perfectly legitimate. I think we all agree. Uh, and we don't need to talk about Edgar. Uh, but did I give it to Alfred? Yes. He you did. had no problem with Alfred for quite a long time. That's weird. I can't. I can't remember when now. it happened, but at some point you decided you didn't like him anymore. Mm. <laughs> I really don't like him at all. Maybe think, it was when he read the Bernard Cornwall book. I think that might be it. Or when there was that... Oh, that is a Bernard Cornwall book. The one Last Kingdom. Last Kingdom. Yeah, yeah he... <laughs> Snooze fest. Realised he was quite pious. Yeah. Yeah, you didn't give me all that before. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Hmm. Anyone else? It's all coming. Yeah, over here. We've got another one over there. Let's start with... Uh, hello. We've got series Have we got another series coming up? Do we, Ali? We do. It yes. <laughs> uh, we are doing the uh, well, queens and the odd king consorts. So uh, <laughs> that should be great. Well, of then, England, of England, yeah. Uh, so uh, a lot of the time, like Eleanor, there's always these powerful characters <laughs> that are right there in the thick of all the stuff that's going on, but for some reason don't get there. Well, I mean, chroniclers are the reason, really, isn't it? That mm. They don't get the record, but had a massive bearing on what was going on. So we want to shine, a, much like the aim of Rex Factor initially was to shine a light on the less known monarchs and give them their time in the limelight. We want to do the same throughout the uh, British monarchy for the for the Queen's consorts. And there's, mm. there is, there's two king consorts, right? Three? Prince consorts. Prince consorts, yeah. Prince. Yeah, three. So we've got Prince George, who marries Anne. Yeah. Uh, we've got Prince Albert, Albert who marries Victoria. And we have... The man himself. The We've Duke got to Redenburg. do him, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm? Well, it's, it's debatable there because we didn't, because the other one would be Mary I and Philip II of Spain. 
technically Philip II of Spain was actually co-king with Mary, but then we didn't review him as a king. So oh. perhaps we might feature him as uh, as an accessory we to Mary. We a Lady Jane Grey to make up for the fact that we didn't do her. Well, she wasn't a consort. She was a... We'd have to do her husband, Guild, uh, Guildford. Brilliant. What a name. Guildford, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. What was his name? Guild, Guildford? Guildford Dudley. That, that's a place. As is Dudley. Oh, God. What's going on? This is anarchy. You can't just do that. I think it was like with the Beckhams, where they weren't quite sure where it happened. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. put them all down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, we're really looking forward to that. So probably, probably in the new year, because they were the all the stuff we did with the animated show when that was being published, and we had the premiere, and then obviously this live tour. And usually we like to have a nice bit of time off between series, and we've had a time off in terms of doing no podcast, but we have actually been quite yeah, busy. busy. But yeah, new year we'll start again with the Queen and Prince consorts, and yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. I think. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. There was yeah, someone over here. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, I think there might be quite a key person in the in the room to do with uh, Rex Factor, the animated show. I don't know if he wants to make himself known or if he's going to... There's, there's right in the back corner is a hand waving, which is uh, Mr. Tom Sanders of Tim Mouse Animation, the man who Yay. brought you... So uh, I think at the moment Tom is just having a bit of a relax after the stress of three years of uh, putting it all together. Um, but yeah, I think maybe again in the new year we'll have a chat and see what we want to do about it and whether whether we want to do a similar kind of thing or if we want to maybe... Because what we did was we wanted to make something that we'd enjoy and something that we hoped that all the Rex Factor listeners would enjoy. So there are lots of you know in-jokes and we did our normal podcast format. So whether we do that again, or if we were to look at something like education and try and tailor it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so we just have to think about how we might want to do it, how much it would cost, and whether Tom can <laughs> keep himself together without us driving him mad for another three years. But yeah, it, it would be nice, but we're yeah, just having a, having a think. Yeah, and while we're on it, thank you to everyone who backed yes. us for the Kickstarter. Yes, thank you so much. We're so, uh, over the moon. Yeah, yeah they, um, that thank you video was... Real, a real uh, footage. We were dancing around the house. It was fantastic. I like this. Actually, two houses as well, isn't it? Because you did it in one room, and then you were dancing because you didn't have the garden for the other one. Oh yeah, no garden, tricky. <laughs> a little behind the scenes info there that you can all uh, <laughs> tell everyone at home. Is there any other? Questions? Any other hands? Yes. I just wondered what's your two favourite eras. Favourite era? Is that Sir Colin? It is. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I was surprised at how much I enjoyed the Elizabethan period. I think that mm. came through when we were doing the playoffs. Mm. That it was just the start of everything. We'd come out of that medieval time and Henry was playing up, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> bit, bit of uh, religious things. And then, right, Elizabeth, here we go. We're starting to explore the world. It was all so exciting. Um, that and Georgians. Mm. Oh, we were worried about the Georgians because we thought it might be a bit boring then because mm. the power was all with the politicians rather than the monarchy. We mm. weren't quite sure how it would work, but actually that just meant that it was just lots of debauchery and yeah. ridiculous Germans. <laughs> just loads doing... of spare time, wasn't <laughs> yeah. there? Oh dear. Yeah. Brilliant. 
absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I think, b- boringly, I think Tudors for me as well. I think, like Ali said, it's you come out of the medieval period and there's so much more information suddenly, so much more written down, so many more sources about basically everybody at court. Well, I was going to say you could write a biography about everybody at court. Probably now they actually have written yeah. for Henry and Elizabeth. All those amazing images, the Holbein portraits, mm. just so much colour, it's really great. But I also love the Saxons because I hadn't didn't know anything about them at all, didn't cover them uh, at school other than in 1991 with the Battle of Malden. Uh, we were at the same place. We were, both went to that reenactment. Yeah, we didn't meet, but yeah. we were yeah. little boys coming together. Little wooden swords. Yeah. We might have fought. Quite possibly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Tudors, but with a bit of a bit of Saxon thrown in as well. The Jacksons. Hmm. Uh, right at the back there. Hello. Least favourite monarch, Ali. Um, uh, I need some thinking time. <laughs> uh, oh, Alfred. Uh, he's he's, he's not. in my mind, though. Uh, I think some of the, the... No, tell you, sorry, sorry. Just remembered. Oh. Stephen. Stephen. Because we had to record him twice. Yeah. A laptop broke down. I was so upset at the end. I, I, I think we just closed the laptop and said, I'm going home. And then we recorded it quite soon afterwards, and it was... It was the next day, I think, we just jumped straight back on the horse. Because if we didn't do it, I think we were quite close to say, forget it. Yeah, no more. Maybe 50 people following us on Facebook, so... (laughs) Yeah, that that was a low point. Yeah, he was a rubbish one. I think maybe some of the... Some of the Scot, like a David II or something like that in Scotland, or a couple of the Roberts that followed him, Robert II, Robert III, there was just this period after Robert the Bruce, there was this real lull where you had all these really ineffective kings and they weren't, they didn't really have any great battles. There wasn't an awful lot of scandal. It was all just a bit messy and it was a bit hard to keep on track and they all had the same name or kept changing names. Yeah, God, it was infuriating. <laughs> it was a bit of a lull between Robert the Bruce and then all of the Jameses when it all just got crazy and they started blowing themselves up. Yeah. <laughs> Who was the one that I really took against? I don't know. I think I was in a bad mood. It might have been David II, yeah. I think. Yeah. He was on straight after Robert the Bruce. Yeah. And he went on for ages and he went yeah, off to like France. Him. He got imprisoned and then he yeah. came back and he just kept Rubbish. on being a disaster. Yeah. Forget it. Mm. Him and Stephen. <laughs> it was something like that. Oh, early favourites for season three and the consorts. I mean, from this room, I'm guessing that Eleanor Aquitaine might have a few, uh, might have a few votes. Hmm. Do you want me to give you some other names? No, no. I'm just thinking, uh, Eleanor of Castile. Who was she married to? Ali? Well, there we go. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's a good excuse to get uh, a bit more Edward in there, but. I like the fact that they, that she and Edward were so very committed to each other, and they went it went with him on crusade. Yeah. So it's not going to be a whole uh, episode of we're not really sure, but we think she spent maybe six years in this castle <laughs> doing a lot of knitting. <laughs> there was uh, going all over the world, known world at the time, um, and sucking poison out of Edward's. I mean, assassin mm. ridden arm. arm. By, by legend. By le- fact. <laughs> uh, I think, so, early favourite, yeah, I reckon. And obviously Philip. I think there are some, uh, <laughs> which we will do for you. We will do Philip. Yeah. We will do Philip. I think also there are some of the ones where the kings are a bit rubbish. 
but actually the queens are really impressive. So Henry VI was never going to be a Rex Factor contender, oh, but yeah. Margaret of Anjou, yeah. much more interesting character, much more powerful figure. Edward II that we mentioned today, obviously, Isabella of France, um, Incredible, really, what she managed to achieve. What was the series of books that I read with Margaret Von Drew in it? And I was telling you all about it like you'd never heard of her before. She's fantastic. It was, uh, was uh, it Philippa Gregory Ons? Oh, I don't think so. No, that was something else. I don't know what that was. Oh. Maybe you haven't reviewed it yet. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think I have. It's been a while, isn't it? Mm. Mm. Well, I'll, I'll save that. Keep that in my back pocket for a, for a preview council oh, episode. Yes. Oh. Ali, do you want to take this on? Hi. It's very detailed. I, I I ring the doorbell about six, and then by by nine o'clock, I could tell you anything you want to know. What's yours? By ten o'clock, it's all gone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, it's probably a bit too lengthy at the moment, um, but I start off with sort of quite a few small books, so ones that maybe just have a few pages on a monarch or like a small chapter, so I can kind of get the basic biography down the main events without having to go through a sort of 500 page book and thinking okay well they were born in this year and da, 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 da. so I kind of build my way up to a big biography so hopefully by that point I've got most of the main factual bits down so I'm using the biography more for the nuance or for the character or for interpretation so I sort of build my way up to the top um I guess it depends for book recommendations I guess it depends if there's any period or monarch or character that Georgians, Georgians, Georgians. There was a Lucy Worsley book that I quite enjoyed actually about the Georgians, which wasn't, it was before she became a big TV personality. So it's not one that she's done as a series. And it's, I can't remember what it's called, but it's something like, it's about the personalities at court. And I think it sort of does George the First and George the Second. I think that period. And that was a really fun one because she gets lots of the, it was a great one for X Factor. She gets lots of those fun facts that I like to put in, things that I know that Ali's going <laughs> to laugh about at the end so yeah i think that was a good introduction um there have been some good ones about george the fourth i can't bring to mind the author at this point there's a very good one at george the third and his wife maybe stella tilliard or something like that i can't remember what it's called but yeah stella tilliard wrote a good one we've been talking for ages about doing some sort of reading list for each episode um yeah i've been a very bad historian i started <laughs> Didn't think about it, and now I'm like, oh, where, where are my references? Where are the footnotes? There's nothing there at all. So, yeah, I should go back at some point and remember what books I read, and then... But we will do with That's we'll something that's them. in the pipeline to have yeah. a great big list. Yeah. You should see Graham's uh, office slash nursery. <laughs> <laughs> that it is, you have to climb over books. When you're in the flat, we used to record yeah. in Graham's bedroom, <laughs> and uh, by the bedside was... A stack this high of BBC history magazines, which is presumably the light reading, and then <laughs> wove through corridors of books to get to the uh, to the computer. It's it's fascinating to see what. Mm. But then you do have the you've got um <laughs> I've got a picture of uh the the weak link in your library, which is the Ladybird Guide to Kings and Queens. <laughs> oh, that's one of the best ones. <laughs> There's a picture of a certain Anglo-Saxon monk in that. Oh, uh... right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Less. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who's you? <laughs> so, uh, nice T-shirt. Yeah. Just something I think that you sampled and you have found the fence, also in the UK, also in Denmark. Oh, hey, hello. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, my 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 thought about the, all the favorite kings, the 
one. And you might think about who's your favorite non-royal person in the series. I think we all know who's your, especially Ali, who's your not favorite. So our favorite non-royal person in Rex Factor. It's always between two, isn't it? Mm. Manny. Manny! <laughs> and uh, the Marshal Marshal. Yeah, William Marshall. So Walter Manny was uh, a knight of Edward III. And um, actually, that's a good historical recommendation. Ian Mortimer wrote a great book on Edward III. I think it's Edward III, Perfect King. And it's just got all these, if you're into the battliness stuff, all these accounts of these campaigns and things that they went on and just sort of classic kind of ladybird <laughs> version of history but just for real and just all these knights running around with swords shouting on other sides of the river cross that they can't get at the french <laughs> and walter manny was a classic one who just go charging into battle shouting his own name <laughs> he was a lot of fun yeah but i think william the marshal probably oh would i top don't it know because i've now been affected by that william the marshal book that i read and did review oh yes 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 yeah uh and I'm leaning back towards Manny now, particularly because my son has a very Manny-like habit of just shouting his own name when he enters the room. <laughs> just going, Roo -roo! As he enters the room, it cracks me up. So I've got a bit of a soft spot for that. Yeah, William the Marshal, the knight of Henry. Well, he, did, he goes all through the Plantagenet. So Henry II, the young Henry, Henry's son, Richard, even John. And then he saves England from French invasion under Henry oh, III. Yeah. It's an incredibly long campaign. He ends up as regent. And he's the one who... Um, republishes, in effect, the Magna Carta. And it's really him doing that that actually establishes it more than when John did it. And he has these amazing adventures, his great knight, all the key The greatest stuff. knight. That the was greatest knight, called, yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's what he called himself as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, William Marshall for me, and maybe I guess Walter Manny for Ali. I think Ali's thinking about it right now. I, tell you what, I have it all planned out up here. It's going to be fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah that's definitely it. something we love to. Like we've we've talked about doing castles in a full a little series thing. Series, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we it's uh, just time is one factor, and uh, I think also Ali hasn't quite figured out the camera in its full oh, range of. Uh, well, <laughs> we've I'm had some issues better. with microphones that yeah. just haven't worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was irritating. Uh, but we, yeah, we can sort iron all that out, and that would definitely be something that we we would want to do. And we're talking about uh, working with Tin Mouse on shorts and all sorts of little things. Mm. So yeah, de definitely more yeah. YouTube stuff at some point when we figure out how to use the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> There's one going, oh, it's just turned off. <laughs> there was one at the back that I just noticed turned off. Run out of battery, I hope. Uh, anybody else? Oh, yeah, another one's front, and then there'll be. Uh, apart from uh, the Prince in the Tower and Amy Robstar, are there any like mysteries that um, you might solve? Ooh, more cases for Inspector Rexford. <laughs> oh, I can't think of any. I think I did at one point. I thought I wrote some down because I thought, oh, we should do more of these, and now I can't think of any of them. <laughs> can you think of any that I can remember? Anyone got any historical mysteries that we should uh, we should solve? Oh, good one! Yes, Jack the Ripper. Yeah, there's loads about that. Yeah. Oh, we could do. We could go around East London. 
doing little videos. <laughs> Brilliant. I don't mean I'm going to slaughter you, Graham. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just mean we can visit the places. Yeah. Marie Celeste, that was another yeah. one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be nice. Mm. Little boat trip. <laughs> yeah. I'm running away with this idea now. You set me off. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I'm annoyed. I've got a whole list of them, and uh, I can't now remember any. But yes, there are more mysteries, and we will solve them as soon as we can remember what they are. <laughs> yes, you had a question as well. Yeah. Uh, is but is Edward the Firsts obviously, uh, but Beaumaris in Anglesey, um, just it's just perfect. <laughs> so they, they, so they built all the uh, Edward with his um, castle builder James of St George had gone along North Wales building them as he conquered, but they always tend to be on the site of other castles it was building from or in tricky locations because that was really helpful, and then. Once that was all over, it seemed like a complete vanity project where he thought, okay, I'm just going to go to Anglesey and with all this stuff we've learnt, build <laughs> the perfect castle, all concentric with no constraints. And it, it I mean, it was never finished and that, that's a bit of a blow, but um, <laughs> it, it was just absolutely ideal. Just before gunpowder comes along and ruins the party, it, if you've only got bows and arrows and trebuchets, that's absolutely where you want to be. It's fantastic. But, I mean, an honourable mention to all the other ones in North Wales. <laughs> I mean, Kenilworth, actually, as well. Kenilworth's got... I could talk about this for hours. So, uh, <laughs> Kenilworth is right up there, um, even though it's right in the Midlands, so you haven't, you haven't got the, the access for the sea, but they flooded uh, the fields around, so it was like an a artificial sea. So you couldn't actually lob trebuchets at it, lob trebuchet stones. Um Quite why they haven't flooded it again. That makes such a good attraction. Because um, I've, I've had to wander around there. It's all just marshy. They don't even farm it. So It was like the Tower of London until the 1840s or something still had a actual Did it really? moat. Yeah. Why didn't they do that? Duke of Wellington drained it. Oh, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> Rubbish. Yeah, Beaumaris, definitely. Anybody else? Any questions? If you're... If, oh, oh yep. yes. So when we've done consorts, will we do prime ministers? They're on the list of uh, potential things, definitely. I think we've been reluctant to start with the prime ministers, partly because um, I think we would have to change the factors. <laughs> I mean, sc scandal still works. Yeah, yeah, Scandal still works, but otherwise we might need to change it. And we also haven't been able to think of a pun for the title yet. <laughs> so if we do the Russians, we've Prime got... factor. Yeah. Is that a math thing? Oh, cheers. <laughs> and it's better than quite the lady. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, but yeah, for the Russians, we got czars in their eyes. Uh, Pope, Pope Idol. Oh. Yeah. But uh, vagina monologues for the next series. <laughs> Regina. Regina. That's the pun. Regina. That's the pun. That's the key difference yeah. <laughs> that makes it a joke. Pun. I didn't think I was going to say that tonight. <laughs> Uh, uh. Anyway, so if you've got if you've got one, let us know because we're struggling. Yeah. But yeah, we would like to do them. It would be interesting. Optimus, Optimus Prime. Prime. Optimus that Prime. is a transformer for those uh, <laughs> who aren't so keen on transformers. Uh, if you do have any questions but don't want to ask out loud, we're hanging around at the end 
to um oh hang on good point of admin here to wait just don't worry <laughs> to we've got these if you want a rex factor t-shirt with the tour dates on the back we'll be selling those at the front so you can come and ask us questions uh if you don't feel like asking one now okay so i think that Probably will yeah. wrap us up. Thank you so much to everybody for coming. It's been so much fun yeah. uh, actually having a, an audience in front of us rather than just... Very weird. Just Ali. But lovely, lovely. I, I haven't been at all nervous because <laughs> it's just exactly what we normally do and I haven't <laughs> had to learn any lines. I just go on the ground, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> Thanks so much well to the Easlington for hosting us today. Great yeah. job with all the sound and managing to get our, uh, our crazy intro in. Yes, thank you. <laughs> at the start. Uh, Kilimanjaro promoted this wise but are very helpful getting this all organized as well so thank you so much to all those people for helping us thank you for all coming and if you'd like to see us again there are still tickets available in Leeds, Manchester and Glasgow <laughs> Cheerio Good night Are we walking up? This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Prime. You know Amazon Prime is not just a shipping subscription, right? It's got everything, including streaming TV and movies on Prime Video. And of course, Prime's fast, free shipping. Go from watching your favorite shows to getting your favorite things. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more out of whatever you're into. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 